It is the 21st century. There are too many video games. But out there, it's waiting. The best video game you've never played. Hello and welcome to The Best Video Game You Have Never Played, the podcast where I, stand-up and improv comedian Lewis Dunn, invite guests on to bring on a video game that I have never played, I then play it, and then we have a discussion about whether or not it is the best video game I have never played. This week's guest is Tom Crowley. You might know Tom from a variety of different podcasts, including Wooden Overcoats, the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, Victoriosity, or indeed his own one-man sketch show, Crowley Time, which is a fantastically hilarious show. You can find it all over the place. I highly recommend listening to it. The sketches in there uh, about all different kinds of topics, including video games. There's a rather hilarious sketch uh, in which uh, Tom and Mario have a discussion about the nature of failure. But there'll be no such failure on today's episode of the show because Tom has brought on a fantastic cult classic video game that has been on my radar for years and that I was delighted to finally be given an excuse to play. So let's find out how Tom Crowley got on with the best video game you've never played. Hello, Tom. How are you doing? I'm very well. Hello, Lewis. Thank you for having me. Not at all. It's very, it's very good to have you here. I'm, I'm very glad to have, have pulled you away from your other podcast to get you, uh, to get you to come over here. Multiple podcasts, always as many as I can cram into the schedule. <laughs> it's good because we are all, of course, inside the big podcast shed where all podcasts are made. So I've just managed to get you over from one corner. Oh, that's right. I mean, I've seen you round a lot. You know, said hi in the mornings when we come in to work at our various chain to our copies of digital audio workstations. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, yes. But uh, Tom, it's it's great to have you here, and it's great to have you here because you have brought on something, a, a game that has lingered in the background of my life for quite some time, and I should I should tell the listener, with the process of getting people onto this show, I go to them and I pitch them the idea and I say, tell me a game that you want to bring on. And there's usually quite a long exchange of games where I try and figure out something that's a good area. This was the first game you came to me with. Straight away, bang, number one. And I went, yep, I haven't played that. I want to play it and I'm interested. So Tom, can you please tell the listener what game it is that you've brought along? I have brought along Full Throttle, the LucasArts point-and-click adventure game. Uh, Chief designed, is that a term in games? Uh, Lead designed, whatever you call it, by Tim Schafer, who people may know from Grim Fandango, Psychonauts and Psychonauts 2, which I believe released even possibly today as we're recording this. But anyway, so he's back in the news lately. But uh, Full Throttle is fantastic. It is a sort of barnstorming uh, biker dystopian future slash alternate present uh, road trip adventure where uh, Ben Throttle, who's the leader of a a gang of kind of noble outlaws called the Polecats in this sort of American Midwest desert world, uh, they're one of a bunch of rival biker gangs. They seem to be, I guess, one of the nicer ones as far as that goes. (laughs) But, uh, you know, as as, as nice as a biker gang can be. But uh, he finds out, he's approached by uh, the the sort of chief executive officer of uh, the motorcycle brand that they all love, Corley Motors, bearing some resemblance to Harley Davidson, I believe. 
And uh, so the 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 founder and creator of Corley Motors wants to ride up to the shareholders meeting with a gang of uh, real life bikers to show his uh, authenticity. But they don't know that this whole stunt with the biker gang and in fact the arrival at the shareholders meeting is a stunt by this chief executive officer or CFO, whatever. I don't know what his uh, title in the corporate structure is, but Adrian second from top. That's right, second from his right-hand man, who he seems to despise and not trust at all. So it's a bit of a wonder how he stayed in that role so long. Anyway, Adrian <laughs> Ripberger, the, the, the horrible corporate shill, kind of 80s-styled executive business type, he's planning to not only ambush and kill Ben's biker gang, the Polecats, but also kill uh, Corley, the, the founder of the entire operation, uh, in order to take over in, in the most hostile takeover imaginable. So you wake up in a bin... Uh, which you have to, the first thing you do in the game is punch your way out of a bin and then you have to go and chase down Rip Burger and try and put an end to his evil scheme. So yeah, I mean, that is a that is a great, like, you've opened up the pitch pretty strong there, as you said, like that is the start of the game as you punch your way out of a bin yep. and you're on your way to take out a CEO. It is, it is a point and click adventure game. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> And it's it's from the '90s. Now I was very lucky, and again, this is a this is a wonderful thing. So I'm a I'm a big Tim Schafer fan. Mm. Uh, I've played basically all of the other games you listed at the start. I mm. have played apart from Psychonauts 2, which I'm really looking forward to playing. Oh, yeah. And and so like I'm one of my favorite games. Like it's not just that I like Tim Schafer. I like the really like the underrated Tim Schafer. I like the Tim Schafer that other people don't tend to like as much. So I think Brutal Legend is one of my favorite games of that generation of consoles. I never played Brutal Legend only because I didn't have a console at that time in history, and I was sort of because I think that was around the time. Yeah, I would have just been off to university, and I was. Poncing around, doing you know, same as you, Lewis. Uh, we were a pair of ponces, poncing around uh, the York University campus, doing um, drama and, and comedy and everything. So you know, I, I, my downtime was, was spent either you know rehearsing or also you know maybe writing things, preparing for shows and things. So uh, I wasn't playing many games at that time, and I was very very jealous of my friends who'd already either graduated university or, or were not using their time profitably who got to play it <laughs> but it looked fantastic it's one i'm really keen to revisit at some point but you know of course just at this moment i can see the shiny bauble of psychonauts 2 glinting at me <laughs> with its beautiful uh, high-res cartoon graphics and uh, that may take priority for me well this is the thing i think that this is the thing tim schaefer is someone who has a reputation for making brilliant unique funny original games yeah and that hasn't gone anywhere he is still doing that and he's still doing that very successfully mm. like um for all of the all of the the faults that one can level against double fine in terms of actually making a game on time and on budget they do <laughs> nobody does they, that the only problem was that they they got the fans to fund it so they <laughs> they did yeah but they did make it and they you know they 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 don't tend to compromise on their vision at least when it comes to like the initial stages of describing what they want no, they're not a sort of Peter Molyneux who says, oh, in the game I'm developing now, you'll be able to actually put your foot through the TV and then go inside the game. And uh, <laughs> in there, you'll be able to marry a beautiful blue alien woman and then father a dynasty of children. And one second in, in real time is a million years in the game world. So you're actually uh, multiplying your lifespan by 20 million years and it comes out and, <laughs> you know, it's a third person action adventure. You know, it's not it, it's not promising on that level, I think. Yeah, Double Fine have... Well, what I like, I, I imagine we might get into this later in the the in this episode. But I mean, I could speak for hours about how much I love LucasArts adventure games, and particularly mm. that sort of very Tim Schafer. And it is a sort of 
you know, for for a company that worked with a lot of sort of game designers and game writers, Tim Schafer projects are quite uh, distinctive. Whether he did them with Dave Grossman or or just as a, a writer contributing to the game, or if it was his whole shebang, like they they they're so I love them so much. They bring so much just inherent instant joy to me, and I think it's all traced back to. Uh, I used to be an avid reader of uh, PC Gamer magazine. Uh, in mm. fact, when my, my parents moved, I had to uh, throw all of my old copies away in uh, one of the biggest <laughs> wrenches in my life. And uh, the cover disc had a demo for Grim Fandango back in 1998. Oh. And I, I played that the demo and... and it was one of those moments where you go, oh, I didn't know games could be like this. I didn't know they could be this well written. I didn't know they could look this cool. Admittedly, the graphics have dated slightly, but you can get the remastered version. You won't notice as much. But it was that whole, <laughs> but not even looking cool in terms of like, oh, my God, there's uh, anti-aliasing on the bump map or whatever. But just looking cool as in the characters were well designed in the way that they are in animated movies and they're cartooned yes. and they're striking and interesting. And the writing is funny, but not like video game funny, like actually funny. You know, and, <laughs> and just and the fact that you I, I will probably get into a lot of this later in the episode. But but that whole I was just saying this to, to my partner earlier. Actually, I was saying to her that um, uh, that to me, that sort of 1989 to 1999, probably era of LucasArts was the stuff they made was like Pixar to me. And and in a weird way, yes. they sort of they bear some resemblance to Pixar because they had the big corporate money. They had George Lucas and Steven Spielberg behind them and seemingly not, you know, for, for a long time, not the most pressure on them to make commercially successful stuff. Like they had the Star Wars times, which always generated money. But at the same mm. time, you know, the same developers, some of the same developers were working on these 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 zany, funny, uh, really eccentric adventure games that were, you know, the definition of cult success, like in looking up a bit of information mm. about Full Throttle, I found out it was the first Lucas, uh, Lucasfilm games or LucasArts uh, adventure game, point and click adventure game ever to sell a million units. And Yes, and that is something that's very interesting to me because yeah. I don't know about you, but my understanding of Full Throttle in the cultural zeitgeist is that, yeah, the, there was this batch of LucasArts games that came out, a lot of which have now become sort of like engraved video game canon you've got things yeah. like the secret of monkey island yes. day of the tentacle grim fandango That's these right. are games that like have lodged themselves into the cultural zeitgeist of video games and full throttle kind of hasn't or it at is, least not yeah. to the same degree no it's, it is the cultier one and i it's hard to say why i think oddly grim fandango which i believe was was quite the flop at it at the time uh, mm. Although who knows? I'd be fascinated to know how the sales figures are now that they've re- remastered and re-released these for like every system in the world. So I'd be fascinated yes. to know how those actually sell. But that might be information that Double Fine deliberately wants to keep very secret. I don't know. But it is well, they're owned by they're owned by Microsoft now, so we will yeah. never know how <laughs> we'll much any game they've out. ever sold again because everything they make's just being released. On I mean, I played this on PC Game Pass. Thank good. Yeah, like that was yeah. another great thing that you came to me is it's like, do you have Full Throttle? And I'm like, yes, apparently I do. I have Full so... Throttle and every other game in existence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it's it's an interesting thing. And this but... was this was the last one to get remastered. Like, the priority list for these games as they got remastered was it went The Secret of Monkey Island got remastered. I mm. got that when it came out, the remaster. Loved mm. it. Played it on the Xbox. Had a great time. Uh, then it was, I think, Day of the Tentacle. Then Grim Fandango. They jumped full throttle. They had to go yeah. back to full throttle. And it was the last one to get made. And I think, I think there's something about full throttle. 
I expected when I went to look at the sales that it was going to be Full Throttle was not a commercial success and sort of heralded the the decline of the adventure game as a as a cultural phenomenon in video games. Mm. But it wasn't. It was they predicted a hundred thousand sales. They got a million, and and then after and then it just just fumes, just nothing. I don't understand what happened yeah. where they go from full throttle, a game that by any standards of video games in the nineties sold really incredibly well, to full throttle is the last game that people are remastering out of a collection of legendarily well received video games. If only we could touch the hem of Tim Schafer's robe and ask him this one question. Um, so my only answer can be based on speculation, but two things sort of occur, which is, well, this isn't true. I was going to say 1995, you're getting into the sort of mega popularity of home video game consoles. It, did the Nintendo 64 launch in 95? Maybe in America, but not in the UK. Ooh, I, I think, think the Nintendo 64 is 96, actually. 96, I'm going to quickly okay. check that. The, the fact-checking time, looking up the facts for the podcast. Don't lie to your listeners. Um, <laughs> it is 96. It came 96, out in Japan okay. in 96. Yeah. But I just wondered if... Because PC gaming certainly... Because uh, I, I didn't have games consoles as a kid. I wasn't allowed them, in fact. My mum was a little bit technophobic in that way. But, uh, of course, what I did is what every other kid who, who wasn't allowed a console did, which is immediately work out how to get games working on my PC. So um, <laughs> it definitely felt at the time like... You know, I mean, PlayStation was just around the corner, which was video games breaking forcefully, you know, with their with their grey iron foreheads, you know, straight into the mainstream. And I wonder if there is a bit of a lost generation of PC games where they weren't getting the same attention in the same way. Or maybe, maybe you have something like Full Throttle, which is very, very popular. I mean, also, to put it in perspective, a million units is chicken feed by a lot of today's games standards. And... Mm. But you, at the same time, it is a sizable impact. And we have that direct comparison with Monkey Island and things. I maybe wonder if it might be a generational thing where that pocket of Sam and Max hit the road, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, you know, Monkey Island 2, sort of hit at just the right time when uh, adventure games seemed to sort of have their heyday. So while fewer people bought them, the, it was that diehard you know, core of fans who, who really worshipped and adored them and remembered them. And maybe Full Throttle came slightly too late, but I, this I, is all just speculation. This is the thing. I have a different theory as to why Full Throttle was the last to be remastered. Mm. The last to... The, the game that out of that batch of games is sort of said, in, is said and Full Throttle. It's the last in the list. Mm. And I think it is, and I'm really sorry to say this, Tom... It is because it's it's probably not the best one in that batch. You're it wrong, is... Lewis. It's the best <laughs> video game you've never played. <laughs> well, look, here's the thing. So I I was really glad when you came to me with this because it's been on my to-do list full throttle. And the fact that it was in the PC Game Pass and I'm like, great, I've got the excuse. I've got the copy. I don't have any reason to not play it. I was, I was very excited to pick up. I also knew that famously full throttle is quite a short game and mm -hmm. it is quite a short game. It's about six hours long. Um, and that six hours brackets providing you don't know how to finish it because like yep. every point and click adventure game as soon as you know the solution to every puzzle the game evaporates <laughs> the, the let's play I found of it uh, to check back for reference uh, was two hours <laughs> start to end yes and I bet as well like in that two hours it, it's just the case of they've completely streamlined the internet. they know exactly which item goes where they know where to go next they know exactly where to go next and so I thought More to myself look it's it's six hours, even if I don't know what I'm doing. So for the most part, what I'm going to do 
is what I've done with every point-and-click adventure game I've replayed. Because I've also done the remasters of Day of the Tentacle, Secret of Monkey Island, Grim Fandango. Mm. And I set myself the rule, which was, where possible, use the in-game hint system that they added, Mm -hmm. if I don't know what to do. And then when that fails, then I can go look at a guide. So with Full Throttle, I went, okay, I'm only going to look at a guide when I don't know what to do and I'm getting frustrated. Because there's no point just running around clicking everything and getting upset, because that's not (laughs) what the game is actually about. You could get the Panini um, strategy guide and uh, learn what the solution to the puzzle is <laughs> at your local branch of Virgin Megastore. Yes, yeah, yeah. Also, there was an, a, a thing in the past where you would call up a... I never did this myself, and oh, thank yeah, goodness, where you could call up a phone line. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, could you imagine a more infuriating process than just clicking through every possible option to go, yeah, my oh, God. I'm stuck on that puzzle, and where's, then hanging up. Where's and... the documentary about the running and operating of the LucasArts secret hint line? <laughs> because I'd love I to watch that. You've, you found a podcast series there, The Running of the oh, LucasArts Helpline. dibs, dibs, definitely... dibs, dibs. <laughs> but this is the thing. So that was the thing I set myself. And I went, okay, where possible, I'm going to try and play this game as straight as possible. And then mm. over time, devolve down to the guide. Every single time I devolved down to the guide in this game, it was because there was a location that existed that I didn't know was in the game. Yeah. That I had to go back on myself or I had to click in a very specific area that suddenly revealed that it was a door or that there was like like there would be there were multiple cutscenes in this game where like you're on a you're on a motorbike, unsurprisingly. Yep. And and you charge away from something that explodes or some sort of crash or some people are after you. And then you find out the solution to a puzzle is to head back into the danger you just escaped. Yeah. Yeah, which is is uh, somewhat alienating. Again, I think that is something weirdly where, in the old school, you know, pre uh, pre widely available internet era, that would be something you'd discover by just hovering your mouse over everything you could find until you realised <laughs> that there was an arrow saying, "Oh, I can go back to where those guys just shot me." You know, it's yeah, it's it's a funny one. And also, I think maybe in terms of puzzles, something that winds people up about this game is there are some quite a few sort of time-sensitive things, or at least there are sort of domino effect puzzles where you, you do something, you notice that touching the ladder oh. up to the gas tower triggers the police arriving, then you yeah. flee. And my adventure game brain goes, oh, I must have to disable the alarm. But it isn't that. Yeah. And I think, weirdly, one reason for this is... Well, I, I think this is true. I can't attribute this quote, so I may be, this may be apocryphal, but I believe Tim Schafer in Ben Throttle... And in the sort of um, the setting of, you know, a kind of slightly Mad Max-esque uh, post-apocalyptic biker world, wanted to sort of get away from the the lovable, goofy, naïf of Guybrush Threepwood or like Bernard Bernoulli, like lovable, frail idiots <laughs> that define like King's Quest and Space Quest and every adventure game and wanted to give you this rough, tough, like action hero. And so suddenly things like driving back towards the explosion you've just escaped from and, you know, not taking the, the sneaky way around a problem is in character. But the only problem is that approach, that sort of slightly more sly approach to puzzles, people had had their brains programmed by hundreds of games to think yes. of puzzles in that way. So I can see how that would be. And hey, at least it uh, extends the runtime artificially. If you but this is the thing, this is, this is sort of where, so the thing about Full Throttle is you mentioned that you punch your way out of a bin at the start. And mm. the reason for that is because the way you interact with this game is that you can click on things and then a little menu pops up yep. and you can interact with your eyes, your tongue, your fist or your feet. Yes. And it's kind of cool. It's kind of a, it's, it's a sort of simplification of that like use item, look at, talk to yeah, system that window. all these games, yeah. which was, you know, and, and that is great. It's a streamlined system. And then I start to think about two of those 
two of those are punch and kick. Yep. And I go, okay, you got, okay, yeah, you pick things up and then you punch things or you kick things. But punch and kick are actually pretty common things to do in a video game, punching and kicking. Yep. Except they're not normally something you would do in a point and click adventure game necessarily. No. No, and indeed. Then, there's sections where you ride on a motorcycle and you have yep. to get in a fight on a motorcycle and it's <laughs> it's famously terrible. I don't want to harp yeah, on too much about section. it. But they but yeah, but they're really bad. They they are in fact so bad that the remaster lets you just fully skip them. Yeah. Um which I think is a sign that sort of they 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 knew they were reaching there, but that that again to me indicates that oh, hang on. The problem with full throttle is not the setting or the characters or anything like that it's that it's in the wrong genre it's actually full throttle shouldn't be a point and click adventure game full throttle should be a third person action game well i would almost agree with that except i think that as you've pointed out the action sequences are the worst bit and the puzzles are the best bit and like the conversations you have with people and i think that one thing actually that really impressed me about revisiting it now is Again, not in the bike action sequences, although there is one <laughs> caveat to that, which I'll talk about in a second. But one of the best things about it is that sort of, whereas, again, like I say, you have to train yourself out of taking that sly, uh, distract the person, diffuse the alarm way of looking at puzzles. The other thing is that there's such a physical reality to the world of Full Throttle. Like, um, mm. you know, again, like punching a, a lid off a bin, kicking someone's door down. There's a very visceral and quite, and it's in the animation, it's in the way the puzzles are designed as well. Like it's and the sort of grit of the art all over the place. There mm. is something very, it's 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 an action movie, but it's an action movie told through a point and click adventure, and I would say very effectively. The only issue being, adventure game engines are not very good at handling physical like, uh, what would you say, rapid reaction action, like the fights on the bikes. Yeah. And my one exception think... to that is that one thing I did like about the bike fights was that in the main sequence, uh, the mine road, where you're challenging, you know, in a long, long chain, you're challenging multiple other sort of bike gangs to fights. There is yes, a puzzle. And a semi... Yeah, it's yeah, a, a semi-random order as well. So you can't you can't request <laughs> who you're going to fight. No. Meaning that you have to just constantly cycle through a series of fights until, as you're about to say, you get to the right person. That's right. Yeah, you beat. need a specific thing. And also you need a specific tool to beat them with. And um, and I think there's something fun about that. Like, you, you need a plank. It's it's like the house that Jack built. You need the plank to smack the cave fish in the face. Uh, but to get the... <laughs> You know, to get, to get the, the plank, plank you have to, to attack the uh, the the vulture with the you know, and it's it's all these things with with a chain because he'll be too quick otherwise. And it's like it is all like it operates in the same puzzle logic. And weirdly, you almost wish that the if the action on the bikes was automated, if you know if Ben would always win, you just had to sort of maybe it should be brutal legend maybe it should be a real-time strategy game well this is the thing you you could absolutely do that sequence on the bikes and make it good mm. there's an idea there that's fun in terms of you're fighting on the bikes to get different items of different people and different items are better against different folk it's just that they've had to make it work in a point and click adventure game yeah yeah which, which is the is, wrong genre i think it is no that's true but i think also it accounts for so little of the gameplay time although the mine road sequence is quite long the rest of it, it's only a, uh, some very halting interactions with that action thing. And I think also the other thing is, it would be so much harder to make this story in a sort of third-person action game that you would care about as much. Because... But I, I don't think that's true. I just think... Make that your what case, it, make your case. 
well, so you pitched it to me as an action film. Yeah. Uh, this game's pace is constantly destroyed by the fact it's a point-and-click adventure game. Now, see, like, I don't constantly... agree by, about that. You... I think I think what I like about it is that it's it's quite a, a deft way of, of trying to tell an action story in a point-and-click game because I was thinking a lot about how tough it is. And bearing in mind as well, when they made this game, point-and-click adventures and their format and their structure was, was such an established system. You know, you, you knew mm. that there was a, a screen, and on that screen there were lots of things you could click. And if you left that yep. screen, there'd be another screen, and you sort of find your way from bits of the world to the next bit of the world... Uh, looking for yeah. people to talk to, items to pick up. And so you need to have a sort of staggered story where you can have these heightened moments of like triumph and action and, and feel like you're that little bit closer. But then you also need to be able to put the brakes on, uh, no pun intended, completely. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a pun. It was just an appropriate visual image. But, you know, there's no place <laughs> for that. Um, and, and then be able to take the time, which, you know, to me, to a, a, a nerd for these types of games, the bread and butter is when you reach the... The, the sort of intriguing, beautiful, otherworldly space, the next world screen to look at with the next set of funny and interesting characters to talk to. And so you need to be able to sort of... St- well, let's let's go fully into the biker metaphor. You need to be able to like hit mm. the throttle and then blast through an exciting moment that makes you feel like everything you've just done, all this sort of slow procedural working stuff out was worth it, and then find a reason to slow things back down again so that you can then solve the next set of puzzles in order to kick things off. Except... I- in full throttle, in the last kind of half hour, it, it is just a blast. Like, you go through all of these exciting set pieces. There's a few mini-games, and there's a, a couple of slightly longer puzzle sections, but they're all quite short. Like, there'll be one or two puzzles to solve, because it's almost mm. like they know we're reaching the end now. People aren't going to want to stop in another town and meet another seven exciting characters. We've met everyone we want. We know the stakes of the story. We've had all the intrigue. We've un- uncovered all the mysteries. Let's have guns firing, explosions going off, stadiums burning down. And like between each of those little moments, you'll have these few quite sort of nicely staged moments where the solution is always going to be, even if it's an action kicking or punching solution, there'll always be a, 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 a kind of very physical puzzle solving element to it you know there's a section where you're you're stuck on the front of a truck that the bad guy's driving and if you go oh, too yeah, far up section. the top and yeah I, I love this section like if you go too I far hate, over i the hated top, this section so much well as, this is my as least favorite format, part of the game by a long shot as the format of the show uh states <laughs> you're wrong um it's, uh, <laughs> I, I think those bits are so cool and like yeah absolutely the the problem is that in whereas you know you'd have a quick time event in a game today in those days, like it's, they stick to their guns and they go, no, there's a point-and-click adventure. You are solving puzzles. So you are yes, solving the puzzle but... of how do I climb over the truck cabin when that guy's going to shoot me if I show my face? Yes, but what they also then do is in the point-and-click genre, point-and-click as a genre basically works under the premise of curiosity is rewarded. Yes. Ultimately, the only, the, there's, there's a point I'm going to make later about puzzle design, but we'll get around to that. But largely, the, my problem with this section is, is that it's timed. So you yeah. have to figure out the solution under a time limit. What's the, A, you don't know what the time limit is. It doesn't tell you how long you've got left or how long you know, you, you're know going to do this whole thing for. But crucially, if you fail, the punishment for failure is that you then have to watch the cutscene that leads up to it, <laughs> which is about two minutes long. Yeah, it's a long all one. All over again. Yeah, that's a shame. And it's uh. just... <laughs> it's hair pullingly frustrating because I want to I, I agree I want to be on board with the idea of this is an exciting finale section I've got to get this right I've got to you know I'm engaged in the moment and they, you're right they're sticking to point and click adventure puzzles the solution to this section isn't action based it is puzzle based you have to use items that you have found 
and interactions in the world to sort things out. And it's like, yeah, good, okay, I'm fine with that being the finale. Why have you why have you put this deliberately <laughs> slow genre of game under a time limit? Well, I think time limits are difficult. I think they it would be a better solution just to have you on an infinitely scrolling stretch of highway and in theory you could go make a cup of tea and come back and they still wouldn't have driven off the cliff. But I or, you know Or I think... at the very least tell me how much time I've got left. Or at the very yeah. least go, Oh, that didn't work and flash back to the start of the sequence. Don't make me Yeah, but it's a Persia style, that'd be a good idea. Just yeah. And they kinda of do that because it cuts to black and then he goes, Oh, that didn't work. Let me try again. And I'm like, Okay. And then I have to watch the whole cutscene again. And I'm like, <laughs> now, yeah. This how did this is this is the remaster as well. I'm like, this was a this was a, a, a chance at redemption. You could have fixed this. You could have, you could have this. made this work. Un- unskippable cutscenes, I I don't think are, are something that anyone has ever liked. Like no nobody no, it's true, if you yeah. said, Oh, you can you have the option to skip the cutscenes in the full throttle me master. I don't think anybody would go, well, you've just ruined the entire thing. Nobody would even have an issue with that, surely. I, think, I don't mind the idea that you can't skip them the first time. I don't mind them being like, no, no, you have to watch the cutscene or it doesn't make any sense. Which, to be fair, in full throttle, you well, have to watch the cutscenes. Why cut you wouldn't cause... want to as well in a game yeah. that's totally predicated on story, I don't know. But it would be nice if you have to rerun the, the truck action sequence over and over again. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, it's, um, it's such a strange thing if you go back and play m- many games from... I mean, when did, when did it begin? Are we talking sort of 2005, maybe? When it became <laughs> accepted that, you know... People don't want to have to watch the entire cutscene leading up to the boss fight. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you know, pe- people will always remember the cutscene that precedes the most unreasonably difficult boss fight in a game because they had to watch it four hundred times and they yes, hated and, it more each time. And largely, that exists because the cutscene was a way to disguise the fact the game was loading. That's true. That's true. Yeah, in some cases. But I mean, when- as you say, if you're remastering a game <laughs> or you've got a, a game without which isn't taking up to. Well, if, let's say a loading screen, uh, unless it's in uh, a PlayStation one game or a uh, or <laughs> the Elder Scrolls Morrowind um, or similar, it's going to take, you know, 20 seconds or something, probably. So yes, why a two yeah. minute cutscene needs to cover it is there's no excuse. For that. <laughs> but the thing, I, right. So this is something about full throttle that as a game. So I think I, I, I like I like point-and-click adventure games with a massive asterisk, mm. which is that, and it's kind of the same problem I have with a game like Pokemon, which is that I love the world, I love the story, I love interacting in this place and getting to explore it and getting to know it. I actually, the actual gameplay is really annoying and really frustrating because there's two <laughs> types of puzzle that exist in a point-and-click adventure game. And one of them is, like, um, there's, I, it's, I was trying to explain it as knowing and solving. Mm-hmm. So you solve a puzzle by being given everything that you need to solve it and being told, these are all the things you need, figure it out. Mm. That's the best kind of puzzle. The best kind of puzzle in any video game is solve it. Here you go. Here's a Rubik's Cube. Here's, here's yeah. a knowable, solvable thing. And then there is knowing how to solve a puzzle, which is the majority of puzzles in point-and-click adventure games, which is, oh, if you put that on that, it does this. And you yes. go, well, I didn't know that. And the point-and-click adventure game goes, well, I knew that. And that's, like, the yeah. whole thing. But and I there's think a couple of puzzles There's a couple of puzzles in Full Throttle that are solvable, i.e. there's a very good one involving a padlock and a yeah, chain, yeah. Yeah. which actually, when you think about it, you go, that's solvable because you can look at all the interactions and figure it out. But it is full of no-type puzzles where the only way you're going to figure it out is either through sheer brute force 
or knowing that certain items do certain things. For example, on the mine road, when yes. you are fighting the bikes, there is absolutely no way to know what is going to work until you find the item and just try over and over again. <laughs> no, There's no logic. There's no solvability. I think that's the problem with the mine road for me is that, you know, because also loving these games as I do, I don't, I think there is a certain kind of, um, I, I think to approach them with a sort of modern mindset of what is a puzzle game even, you know, you think about games that tend to be, well, a lot of puzzle games these days are almost more like a sort of mist type thing where it's all quite first person-y mm. and, and they're, they're deliberately puzzles. If you look at something like The Witness, there's a story being told, but, you know, oh, it's a world is. constructed solely to serve a certain kind of puzzle solving. Whereas yeah. I, the, sort of the, the idea of the graphic adventures was uh, much more to sort of tell the story and to give you these fun possible combinations. And some of the most fun you can have is if you find a particularly funny wrong solution and get the line of dialogue or the visual gag that, <laughs> that meets you if you find yes. the uniquely wrong solution to a puzzle. And of course there are, you know... The frustration with it is just hearing uh, Sam, the police dog, go, I can't use these two things together, you know, a hundred times, yeah. as you, as you yeah. say, try to uh, brute force the solution. But, um, I mean, I think today the solution to that is guides, of course. But it's also, but then, it's almost but... a different school of thought of, of kind of relishing the experimentation and the trial and error of some of these things. Because also often in uh in some of the better design puzzles trying the wrong thing and triggering the line of dialogue or trying the wrong thing and just kind of the the fact that it doesn't work sets your brain worrying a different way i do however think that you know the reason that point and click adventures are even more now today a niche pursuit is because mm. that kind of very slow methodical game playing you know we're, we're not wowed by the idea that we can meet voice acted characters who are well animated now that's in every <laughs> that's single true. video game Back then, the idea that you were playing a sort of animated uh, Mad Max film was was so exciting. I mean, I remember mm. at the time I, I played this game. I think I played this after Grim Fandango, but not that many years later. So still, that kind of very kind of nicely drawn and, and very well created characters in games was still very novel. So I think it helps a lot that I I craved that stuff from games so much that of course you make allowances for the occasional time. When you go, well, I'm sorry, Full Throttle. I didn't realize that I had to go back and get the hover motor from the car that was pursuing me. You know, it's you. There, there are some times like that where you start to. But, but then that said, something I was struck again on this time through was, uh, was how ultimately so many of the puzzles you go, oh, of course. And I think the foremost one of those, as you say, is the um, is the the lock, uh, the padlock on the the garage door. And yeah. but that said, that was the puzzle which uh, at the time was notorious for being unsolvable and infuriating. And so many people oh, it, just never saw that way through it. it. Yeah, it's it's a difficult puzzle, but I think it's a very good example of a solvable puzzle design. Where you when when you see it, you go, "Oh, of course that makes sense. That's a really good idea. That clicks." It's the only puzzle in this game I can think of that <laughs> that has that level of satisfaction to it, because almost every other puzzle in the game was either perfunctory in the sense that it wasn't really a puzzle, it was just it like a fairly hard, yeah. obvious interaction, or it was like, like oh, there's, a, there's an infuriating one where you, you mentioned it earlier, where you touch a ladder and it summons a, a, a police hover car. Mm. And I'm trying to, the whole point of this section is you're trying to get fuel for your motorcycle. 
and I went, oh, it's a trick. I'm not trying to get into the fuel tank. They've landed the police car. I can steal fuel from the car. Yeah. I've got a hose. I've got a gas can. I'm going to do the trick with the hose and the gas can that everyone is, knows about, but nobody knows how to actually do. Yeah. And um, I click the hose and I click the police car and he goes, no. And I go, oh. Oh, does it want me to put the hose in the gas can and then do it? Okay, hose in the gas can. No. Oh. I don't know how to solve this then. I thought I had this. I go online. I was completely right. It's just I had to click a very specific part of the police car <laughs> in order to trigger. And it's like, what? at what level of pedanticism was that worth making oh, a distinction that's, on? That's like you can't level that at full throttle and then not level it at Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle. They oh, all yeah. do that. They all do they that. They all do that. It's a flaw in the genre. It's a yeah, flaw oh, in yeah. the genre. And it's it's a flaw in the sort of idea that these puzzles are... Un- like, I think quite a lot of the time in a puzzle game... Not a puzzle game, sorry, a point-and-click adventure game, particularly the LucasArts point-and-click adventure games, the thing that is making me not able to do the thing I want to do is that the way I interact with this world is not natural. It's not an instinctive, normal way for me to interact in a world. If I was actually like in a LucasArts adventure game, I would just do the thing I thought worked, mm. and then based on what happened, if it did or didn't work, I would go, oh, well, it didn't work, so what do I need to do to solve it? Like, There's mm. so many classic examples of puzzles where you think, like, oh, I need to take that, and you click on it and it goes, oh, I can't take that. And then you find out the reason he can't take that is because he can't reach. Well, that's yeah. the kind of thing I would know if I existed in the world and went, oh, oh I can't yeah. reach that. So yeah, I need yeah, to yeah. figure out a way to reach that. That's yeah, that... the problem with full throttle. Well, I think, but that sort of thing is egregious, but I don't think that specific crime is 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 quite, is ever committed in the same way. Like I think that, you know, speaking about trial and error in, in the sense of uh, point and take adventure, I think the best example that... Um, was ever come up with i can't remember who, who specified this one but in the Discworld uh point and click game um which starred i believe it was uh eric idle and uh tony robinson oh, okay. did most of the voices in it there's a sequence where you and this this is the most egregious example of this sort of thing you have to you need to get you know a belt buckle from a stall vendor because you need something shiny i forget why in the end the solution <laughs> to it is to spike the uh, stall owner's prunes with uh, a laxative. Why? I don't know, because prunes are already a laxative. And then you have to... (laughs) He runs into the little dunny, you know, next to his stall and pulls his trousers down and there is the... Um, the, there's the belt buckle and so you go great well I can get uh. that now but no he stops you and sort of kicks your hand away so you need to distract him while he's eating his uh, spiked prunes and having a, <laughs> a giant shit we can only presume and and the way you do it is to sneak like squid pheromones onto him so that uh, the squid that you've been carrying around when you put it into the dunny while he's in the cubicle will uh, uh, try and make love to his face so that he's distracted <sighs> enough that you can get the belt buckle and it's the, it's that kind of thing which full throttle does shy away from like That's while true. some of the That's solutions true. and this is the landscape it came out of and uh, like i think that there is a certain degree of brain training to do when doing 
kind of across the board with these adventures. It wasn't just the LucasArts ones. In fact, I think famously Sierra were, were even more esoteric when it came to these Well, things. famously in, this, in Sierra ones, you could die. Yeah. So which, Sierra games were a genre based on curiosity that punished curiosity. Yeah. So it's an inherently, yeah, exactly. act, like, it's a terrible genre. I don't know if you've ever played, tried to play the text adventure version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I was just thinking about it. No, I, I haven't tried it properly. I've, I've played the opening sequence and died immediately like everybody else. Exactly. There's no video game that's more unhappy with the fact you're trying to play it than the Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide to the Galaxy Text Adventure. Actively trying to put um, you off, yeah. But that Discord, that example you gave of the Discord, that's a perfect example of everyone... There, there became a, a thing in the genre where people became determined that point-and-click adventure games had to be funny. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that solution is really funny. It's, it's really funny, funny on yeah, paper. It is funny. It's just a terrible puzzle because... <laughs> reading it's really funny but it's funny because it's unexpected and unpredictable whereas by the time you figured out you need to put squid pheromones on the man with like unstoppable diarrhea it's no longer funny because you've been trying to figure this out for ages and when you finally do it you go that's absolute bullshit that makes no sense and to be fair full throttle apart from the fact it's a lot of trial and error no solution in this game was bullshit no solution in this game was Oh, I need to train a squirrel in order to be able to open a door. Like it was nothing nothing absurd happens in Full Throttle's puzzles. So you're right in that respect. And I can't I think maybe Day of the Tentacle actually has quite a few of those mm. when you figure out the solution. It's really funny to read, but it's not at all funny to execute. Well, I, you know, it's a long time since I played Day of the Tentacle. I think I have the remastered version as well. Um, mm. But it's it, that was one I remember being so stuck, and I think part of the issue with uh, well, maybe arguably with Full Throttle as well, but is that there is quite an open world to play with. You know, with Dare the Tentacle, you've essentially at one point I think you've got more or less the entire mansion plus three time zones. You know, the entire mansion in yeah. three different time periods to play with. So you know, when you talk about trial and error, if you get stuck in Dare the Tentacle, you might be trying to solve. Uh, a, a puzzle that's come up in the greenhouse of the the far future with uh, a piece of wood that you got in revolutionary era America. You know, it's it's there's such a big open world and yeah, and that is there is something quite fun about that in Day of the Tentacle just because there is so much to interact with and so many fun, beautiful cartoon things to look at. But it is you know you you have to really warp your mind to as you say not think about these in a naturalistic way, but instead think in sort of a strange cartoon logic you're almost you're looking beyond the screen at the developer like waggling his eyebrows at you uh yes or, exactly or her yeah. eyebrows but if you look at the credits mostly his uh, mostly, mostly him yeah mostly his but uh <laughs> not exclusively but anyway uh so you you look at the 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 gender non-conforming developer waggling their eyebrows at you and go what would that person think is the funniest thing i can do with this <laughs> or what is it what what are they trying to stop me noticing and it is that thing. It's not so much role-playing as the character. It's more going, right, what are they trying to get me to do here? Like, what, what's the thing that they're either waving in front of me, like, so close that it's, you know, the elephant in the room. It's so close that I can't even see it. Or what's the thing that they're sort of dangling a little way away from me going, yeah, you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it. And I think there is a fun but- in that. It is, it's a very different kind of puzzle solving. And like you say, quite often if you... If you just can't hook your brain on the right weird concept, it is just a matter of brute, brute forcing things or looking up, but, you know, or putting it in Google these days. But but I think Full Throttle, Full Throttle is less guilty of that than other examples like mm. the Discworld example. And th- I think there are definitely some puzzles in... I think there's definitely some puzzles in Grim Fandango now that I think about oh, it. Yeah. That when I found out the solution, I was like, what, what nonsense is this? <laughs> um, 
Full Throttle does shy away from that, and it's to be admired for shying away from that. I think I think they kind of the simplification of the verb menu down to those four basic actions. Mm. The fact the inventory, like there's no inventory combining in this game. Every item you're either using an item on something or you aren't. Yeah, and that's sort of that's sort of like they're they're starting to figure out that actually these are problems in the genre. These are things that we need to iron out. But as they're doing that, they're slowly basically revealing. Oh, the point-and-click genre doesn't really work. <laughs> like they're basically slowly unraveling the fact that oh, well, we're going to add some bike action sequences in a destruction derby, and uh, you know, just so that there's things to do in this game. Because the more that we pull away from this obscure puzzle design that nobody really likes, the less game there is. Well, I think and this, actually... this leads to a couple of things that maybe are an explanation as to why it's not the most fondly remembered. Because I think it stands up great as an example of this type of game on its own. And I think that mm. people have, like, some of the action... I remember quite enjoying the, de- the Demolition Derby sequence. It's certainly a lot more of a kind of immediate, recognisable type of action than waggling left and right on a bike in, in the mine road yeah. sequence. But it's... Um, but, like, I think that there was a sort of... I think there was an active attempt to introduce action sequences because you know processing power had increased to the point where you know you, you could have three-dimensional action games dark forces i think it came out the same year as um which is the the star wars doom game uh mm. came out the same year so like you could do 3d rendering and you could do full-on twitchy fast action games so i think there was a lot of pressure on point and click games to include those sorts of action sequences uh, and also probably within that kind of attempt to make this more accessible was that streamlining down of like, well, no, you can't combine the rubber chicken with a pulley uh, because because that's too weird yeah, and people don't want to waste their time the with that. That's a classic one as well. Uh, but the but I think that I think that that is a merit of it. But it was also something which at the time got it criticised for being too easy <laughs> because I mean it is yeah. it is a pretty easy game and I think there is something to I was I was I doing some research as well. I think that they were kind of right to say. For its time, I can understand why if you bought Full Throttle at whatever price it was yeah. sold at in the 90s, and it would have been expensive because video games were more a lot more expensive in the past, um, and then you could beat it in six hours, I can see why you'd be really upset and annoyed, particularly because this genre has a reputation for buckle up, you're here for 40 hours rubbing yeah. everything on everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then again, um, if that's what people want, then that encourages your, your Discworld style of puzzle writing and and it makes yes. people people artificially try and jack up the difficulty sometimes and i think that is something that lucasarts generally were less guilty of i think because they prized the jokes and uh, a little bit more of a purity in the in the puzzles i mean i can't speak for some of their very early ones i never played maniac mansion or zach mccracken but no um, i haven't played those either i think that there comes a point with the point and click adventure genre where it gets so old you go no, I, I don't oh, God, think I, don't I can make this work anymore. Yeah, it, it's especially because... So I think that one reason Full Throttle's so good is because it's at a time when, like you say, there's the occasional moment when you go, oh, that didn't work, and you realise, oh, no, I meant to click this on the gas can, gas cap, mm. not on the actual car. Uh, you know, that sort of thing's frustrating. But imagine that kind of pedantry at a time when there were only about <laughs> 40 pixels on the screen. Like I think that's what tends to put me off. Uh, but I think from those yeah. earlier ones, but yet still, Monkey Island is fantastic and still works brilliantly. Yes, yeah, and I think so. This is the thing as well that I was tr- I've, I've sort of been treading around this because this is a really subjective thing. Okay, so uh, I love the Secret Monkey Island. I really like the setting. Um, I really like pirates as a as a genre. I like Day of the Tentacle. It's a really zany, wacky game, and sometimes it's a bit too zany, wacky. 
but I'm inherently find the idea of an evil purple tentacle deciding it wants to take over the world because it drank some radioactive like that to me is a funny idea and like the yeah. concept of you've got three characters across three time periods Grim Fandango is a sort of I think in a lot of ways the pinnacle of the writing that this genre gets to like Grim Fandango is an epic like it's, it's across multiple time genres and like the scale of the story is enormous and I thought I, I really loved Grim Fandango Full Throttle definitely has the setting I am least into. That's, so, I mean, that's totally valid. But I think part of that was an attempt to do a very different point and clicker. And that's, I think, yeah. I think a lot of that is why I think that and the sort of slightly more accessible level of puzzle is, I think, what makes it stand up on its own two feet around the other, you know, longer, more involved and, and in some ways, you know, more emotionally investing or funnier, like games like Dare the Tentacle and Grimm come to mind immediately but i think the reason it holds its own is because it, it has this very specific setting and aesthetic and that mm. is reflected in the puzzles you quite often the yeah. solution is hit the thing with the crowbar like ben the biker yeah. do you know like it feels all very consistent and of its own world plus in a sort of uh post-apocalyptic type desert landscape the amount of kind of insane destruction you know crashing the front of a airplane off a cliff feels a lot more tonally correct in that world and you know mm. and i think there's also something so beautiful about just the stru- the staging of so many of those moments again bearing in mind that you know doing sort of cutscenes on that scale and animation that was that elaborate was like unheard of on pc games at the time <laughs> i was just a bit near the end when the the front sort of the more the sort of uh red dwarf style scoop on the front of this truck which is a taxiing mm. jumbo jet. It, it yes. the mouth drops open due for a pivotal action sequence, and and I was going, please let let it hit the road and and sparks fly up, and it's like, ah, oh, of course they are, you know, like it's yeah. just the sort of yeah. everything is twisted metal and and like fast and and um, and, and grimy and full of sand and dirt, and it's, uh, that that I absolutely adore about it. So I, I can't agree with you on the setting. But that says, so this is, but this if is all the thing. games I, were like that, if all games, if it was like FPSs at the time and everything was brown, and this was another one of those, I might agree with you because it's not something that I'm immediately as drawn to as Cartoon Dare the Tentacle or beautiful noir uh, Grim Fandango. But the thing I think that's interesting about full throttle setting, and you're right, it's re- it's consistent writing. I'm not trying to in any way suggest that the setting is like underrepresented or or in any way like a bad fit as it were well i think mm. i think it is a bad fit for a point and click adventure game i think this should be a third person action game where you get to ride a motorcycle <laughs> and punch guys and use weapons against them and still solve puzzles still sure. use things on things but like it to me like to me this game is and it's not necessarily explicitly what happened but i think you can see the line from full throttle to brutal legend pretty strongly yeah yeah in the sense that and this is the thing is that Double Fine exists, and the first game that Double Fine makes is Psychonauts, which is a platformer. Mm. And they still maintain it's really funny, it's really well-written characters, it's big, expansive worlds that feel well-lived in. You still have to solve puzzles in unusual and imaginative ways. They didn't lose anything that makes these games good. It's just that they found a way to translate them into a type of game that's actively fun to play rather than frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's... there's everything that's good about full throttle has nothing to do with it being a video game um well to that i would merely say you're wrong lois it's the best video game you've <laughs> ever played 
but yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, I see what you're saying. I think it does come down to personal taste in that respect then as well, because I see what you mean. And I think that definitely, you know, if you, for example, uh, I have I never finished Broken Age again, partly it was like I a didn't time of finish Broken Age either. I thing. backed Broken Age. Me too. I was so behind it. I was like, yes, here comes the point and click game. And then I beat like. I got I beat the first half of it that they released early and I went mm. this is great and then the second half they went people wanted it to be more like a point and click adventure game from the 90s and I immediately got stuck and went this well, sucks yeah, I hate it there you go but I mean I, I think I I think I may have finished part one actually back in the day but never picked it up again not because I didn't really like it I think it looked beautiful but you know that that's them going right point and click adventures whoa they are not in vogue we need to simplify this <laughs> right down and so a lot of those elements so i mean having not played part two maybe you're right and that was them listening to the fan fans going no 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 no, rubber chicken pulley octopus on the face and yeah they, no like, they really there's some puzzles in the second half that are impossibly hard and i just yeah, right. and they deliver and they're like it's not just that it's impossibly hard they managed to go oh and we have the technology to make it so that we can randomize the puzzles oh, so you can't use a guide and it's like <laughs> no. oh thank you so much recapture those uh the joy of those long sunday afternoons just clicking on the same <laughs> background brick try believing no this time this will be it yeah no and it's it's uh I think there is a certain element of that. But I suppose my answer to that would be, looking back here from the year 2021, uh, for, for Tiz, uh, looking back this way, I go, I absolutely love that there's an explosion-heavy biker rock point-and-click adventure game. Mm. Simply because if you want but, a, a tough, thing- surly, gravelly voice protagonist in an action game, one that you can ride a motorcycle in, there's fucking 10 million of them. Like and I but, and I think that's fine and good and I'm sure they're great. But to me, <laughs> who kind of likes the the methodical slowness and the atmosphere, getting to sort of relish, you know, point and click adventures are almost like those um, uh, on some level those sort of synthwave compilations you get on YouTube where there's just someone <laughs> standing at a window in an infinite loop smoking a cigarette and there's just sort of slightly rotating animated elements in the background. I think you know you can trace a very direct line from adventure games. <laughs> So those videos, because there is something so soothing about that, having some some visual kind of pleasure like that while clicking around whatever else you're doing, answering emails, whatever else it is. But it's just that in this case, what you're doing is advancing a story and trying to solve puzzles and get the belt the buckle thing, though, off is... of the stall holder's belt as well. Yeah, you've kind of devolved it from this is a rough and tumble fun game about being a biker to it's kind of like a video you put on in the background while you check email. <laughs> like that's that's the problem I think with the game because you said it's a game where you play as a gruff biker gang and then you end the sentence with inner point and click adventure and it's like that's that doesn't click. This this jigsaw pieces don't fit together. Hey, you've, you've, not you've only up- not only does it click, but it points as well. Well, it, okay, well, well done. Um, <laughs> I think, and I think you're, this is the thing you mentioned earlier. They wanted to get away from the 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 wimpy protagonists, the sort of people who rely on their wits rather than their brawn as yes. a way of solving it. Except that was an inherent reason that it was a point and click game in the first place, because you're not playing as someone who can punch his way out of problems. So you have to use your wits. How do you demonstrate that? Point and click is like a way that you like relate to the character because the gameplay matches up with the way that they interact with the world. Full Throttle gives you all of the tools of someone who uses their wits to solve problem and gives you a protagonist with fewer wits. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's not the wrong not way to right, interact. Because I think that that you know. 
it's not a binary choice. You know, it's it's not that you go, I either need to have a, a physically weedy uh, brain solving these problems or I need a big brawny protagonist. I think what you're faced with is is more like a kind of a sort of like an old fashioned Western where there are sort of problems to get around people to manipulate. But then there's also a big blow up at the end. You know, there's also a gunfight. You know, I think I think well, that yeah, this is why I think that why I think the game works is because you take those that attitude of because also Ben is a vulnerable character. You know, it's it's you get the feeling that, you know, if he barged into a room full of guys with guns, he'd be shot to death, you know, which is why he has to flee from a police helicopter. So he isn't mm. the invulnerable. You know, he's not doom guy. He's he is a yeah, that's protagonist. True. That's true. He's just got a gravelier voice and a big chest. You know, he's and he lives in a different, rougher world. And I think for me, that stuff all works. I think it's all very consistent. But I agree that like it's it's very strange to look back and go, "There's this is the cover of the game. Guess what genre it is." You know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. very incongruous looking back from today. But that said, I, I think that's one thing I like about Point and Click Adventures is that you do get quite a broad and and sort of especially now actually now that we have these hybrid games i've been playing um 2064 read only memories recently and um, oh okay that is a fascinating it's very sort of pixelated it's it's most based on hideo kojima's sega 64 game uh not sega sega cd game snatcher more than anything else yeah. and you play uh, a down on their luck uh technology journalist who accidentally gets involved in the uh the assassination of a uh of like a tech genius when his adorable robot friend comes to find you and ask for your help because of some plot. And and that's an amazing... <laughs> like, now, as people have taken... I mean, maybe this speaks to what you say, which is that, you know, people these days don't want to click on 17 different inventory items over and over again. <laughs> and I can see why. But, like, that, that sense of, like, prioritizing a world-building character and, like, voice acting as well, often in modern games... Uh, I think that all the, those best elements have endured, but crucially, some of those elements are the the slightly head scratching, like, well, hang on, who am I meant to speak to next, or you know, what where where am I meant to put this fish? Now, that stuff I think still endures <laughs> to some extent, but I think you're quite right in that you know the, the level of patience with that stuff has diminished, and the games reflect that. But I think that if you take the modern sort of dialogue driven or even dating sim formats, you know, visual novels they call them, I guess, like mm, that yeah. kind of game, you know, your Phoenix Wrights and all these. If you if you well, take all of those and then look all the way back to sort of you know late eighties text adventures, I think Full Throttle sits very nicely in there as a sort of a genre that had reached its kind of a pinnacle of of you know cult, admittedly success, and then going mm. let's just let's play with a different sort of palette within this genre, and I just think it stands out really well as an example of applying this sort of style of cinematography, if you will, to a different genre and a different type of protagonist. I think it does. Yeah, you're right to say it deserves plaudits in the sense that I think one of the reasons this game has has sort of managed to nestle away as a cult hit, despite mm. the fact that it sort of it, it has this reputation for being the Short. and full throttle <laughs> of this group. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah? It, I I can think of one other video game right off the top of my head where you play as a biker, which is Days Gone. Yeah, which is an action game and it's set in a zombie apocalypse. And and you know it wasn't just enough that you could be a biker; it also had to be zombies. Yes, yes. Um. Um, but and that is very much an action game but also it does like that's a game where you do meet a lot of interesting characters there's a lot going on Mm. in the world of days gone you you don't necessarily solve puzzles in the traditional sense of you know put padlock on garage door but you do solve puzzles of like okay i need to get to this location i need to source fuel to do that 
there's a horde of zombies there, so I can either figure out a way to fight them and take them on or find a way to circumnavigate them. I think the difference is, is that in a point-and-click adventure, puzzle has solution that is, like, rigid. It is like a formula. It is the, the only way to solve this puzzle is with this solution. Yeah. I think as game design's gotten better and more, you know, we can build 3D worlds with physics, the best kind of puzzles are the ones that are more based on here are a set of resources... Here is a world in which you have to interact. The way you're going to solve this isn't through that rigid design of puzzles. It's through using what you have to take advantage of the situations you're in. So when, when you are now interacting in the world like you would if you were actually in the world. Yes, that's so really- true. That's true. But I also think that speaks again to training your brain to think about things in a certain way. And I think that what you're talking about as well is, is talking about, you know, hey, you say better game design. I say different. I different, mean, admittedly, yeah. it has to be better because the budgets are far bigger and the pressure's on. But, anyway, <laughs> but also, I think there is something that, you know, while, of course, we talk about brute forcing and having to go through all these options, in a game like Full Throttle, there aren't too many because you're not looking at a fully rendered 3D world, which, you know, for example, if you had an entire, you know, Far Cry uh, scale of world to look through and you mm. made that mistake with the gas cap, not the car... That would be completely unforgivable because, you know, somehow you is, found the right option nearly out of, you know, but the uh, thing is, four million hectares. And yeah, for, for a game like Far Cry in a world that's that big wouldn't let you make that mistake. No, exactly. It simply, because it simply would world. it would simply say, press this button to take the fuel. It would yeah. be like that wouldn't that wouldn't be the thing you're trying to solve in it. It would be like, I need to get past a group of enemies or I need to explore an area. Yeah. And I think. The thing about Full Throttle is is that the level of interaction that you have as a player is there are two things that can happen. You proceed or you fail. Yeah. And there's no, there's no like, there's no, so there's no authorship on the part of the player, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Because obviously we're, we're in a linear story and that's, that's the point of this game. I'm not trying to say that Full Throttle would be better with multiple endings, although that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Um, I'm trying to suggest that like, you say, oh, you have to wire your brain into like, okay, how how have they designed this? How have they? What's the person who's writing this game thinking? And at that point, I'm saying, okay, so we're not playing the game anymore. We're playing how do video game developers think the game? This is now a different interaction. I'm not immersed in this world anymore. I'm not being told a story. I'm playing a game of if I had this job, what would I make happen? <laughs> well, it's, and I it's, feel I like. Mean- but I still think that is just a different way of approaching a game. And I think that we are somewhat spoiled by the fact that, you know, there are certain things we can always assume are going to happen in a game these days. You know, for example, mm. in most games, you can go anywhere, you know, regardless of hills being in the way. <laughs> Whereas I, you know, I, I well remember a time when if you played a first person shooter, you were going down a corridor. It might be a wide corridor at certain points, but it was essentially mm. a corridor. And I think that, that looking back on a game with such rigid sort of rules, you know, you're looking at a series of, it may as well be sort of, uh, you know, one of those uh, phone games where it's literally just a still frame, and you have to pick all, find all of the hidden objects. You know, those yes, are yeah. those are a far, weirdly, much more popular, but a far more rudimentary form of game than this, with no story and and uh, no surprises. But you know, it's 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 a similar type of thing, and I think that you know you have to. If if I were to uh, to rec- be recommending this to another person other than you, I would say you know you're gonna have to someone who hadn't played a point and click game before, I'd say you're gonna have to sort of it, take take it at quite a slow pace, or you know mm. if you don't mind blasting through it, just get a guide and just enjoy the story for what it is. 
but you know you you have to attune yourself to a sense that really it's it's a series of yeah a series of dioramas and a series of sort of almost action and comedy scenes that you're building with the bits at hand and that is a very specific kind of fun and i think that the thing is one thing that sets the lucasarts games apart and why they maybe endure as more popularly than you know your sierra or any of your other um, infocom or whoever games Mm. is that they had the character and they had the genuinely good writing that if you were finding it tough to get your teeth into the style of gameplay you there was plenty else to enjoy along the journey yeah and i think I think there is also this element of... I th- I was going to say, like, is it just the case that if Full Throttle was an animated film, it would probably be as good? And I don't think that's true. Mm. I think the fact you have to play through the game does give you a level of attachment to the characters you otherwise wouldn't. Mm. I think there isn't... The thing is, I, I the, the modern evolution of the point-and-click genre, and I don't know how many times I've brought up this company on this podcast, even though they don't exist anymore... Is I know Telltale. Who you're say. Yeah, there we it's go. Telltale. <laughs> Telltale picked up it's not it's not just that Telltale picked up LucasArts mantle and ran with it. It's that LucasArts sorry, it's that Telltale bought LucasArts properties and literally decided to keep making them. Yeah. Like they made the Monkey Island follow up and Sam and Max follow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um they didn't get around to full throttle for whatever reason. Um, well, there was going to be a, a sequel, you know. I don't know if you remember Yes, multiple this. attempts at a sequel. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, there, were, there was... was there only, Were there multiple attempts? Oh, no, there were. There were two at LucasArts, right? And then LucasArts yeah, said yeah. no more adventure games. That's right, yeah. And um, interestingly, I think that what would have happened is it would have been... Because this was a kind of PlayStation 2 era product, I think it would have been. I think it would have been exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I think it would have been a lot yeah. more like uh, an action game because all the screenshots uh, that came out at the time, reading them in my PC Gamer magazine, <laughs> you know, it, it made it look as though it was a sort of lock-on beat-em-up, you know, like a three-dimensional beat-em-up game. And and that, it would have been interesting to see. I can't help but worry that it would have felt quite generic, even if well, they'd done the, the action thing. really well, you know. I think the thing that would be different... I think possibly... So Full Throttle, I think, is ahead of its time... But not in the... I mean, some of the technology is ahead of its time. There's some 3D models in the game, which for its era are impressive. And it's really cool. I mean, I was switching between the original graphics and the new graphics um, in the remaster because it was something I was very curious about. And I was actually surprised by... Maybe it's just because I got the impression of the what it was supposed to... Like the the fully coloured, fully nice, smoothly animated. And then I'd press F1 and I'd go... Oh, that's really close, actually, to yeah. what they've remastered. Like, it actually isn't... They've done an amazing job with the resources they have. This is um, an interesting question as well with the remaster, because, yeah, as you say, like in most of these games, you can switch with a, a button press between the... You mm. can do that with Halo 1 as well, I found out, which is... Oh, yeah, the Halo 1 remaster. Well, yeah. that's that's a that's a famously strange remaster, that one, because oh, you really? can switch between those two graphics, um, except those two worlds aren't actually the same. And yeah. in the remaster there are like walls that become invisible because they didn't create the assets one-to-one. Yeah, yeah, um, good reason, because they learned how to design the levels better, or short short of time. Either it's way. a very strange remaster. Anyway, anyway, but yeah, the point that, I was trying to make about... Thing, but yeah. Yeah, the point I was trying to make about the full throttle being ahead of its time is that I think it's an idea for a game that's ahead of its time. I don't think in 1995... The the version of Full Throttle that I'm like that I'm now playing in 2021. I'm going. You could make this game a lot better. You could make the action sequences a lot better. Mm. There's ways that you could streamline some of the more ridiculous mechanics. I think in the you know how in Grim Fandango you actually walk around the environment. Yes. If this game was made now, you would walk around the environment. Oh, absolutely. It would be yeah. 
it would you would have direct joystick control and you'd have a kick button and a punch button and maybe you're still solving puzzles in much the same way but it's like you you boiled the controls down to four verbs there's four buttons on a controller yeah like true, it's true. just it all of it would become so much more direct and so much more workable except in 1995 you probably can't make that game no no like you technologically. can't well certainly like a, a, a company which had relatively compared to other studios probably fairly small budgets you know, making full throttle, they, they it looks like they squeezed every possible penny they could out of it. You know, oh yeah, and I don't think they were were cash poor, but at the same time, you know, adventure games, as we've already said, never made the most money. So I expect they were not given the, the same budget as, say, Tie Fighter, which came out the same year <laughs> and had fully three D rendered action sequences and space battles and things. Like I think, I think that's they they were the runts of the litter in that respect. I mean, I'm speculating, but you know, but I think I think I see your point. I think that. I think what I like about this and what I like about uh, point-and-click adventures in general is that the temptation to... When you have an engine that allows you easily, you know, rapidly repeatable gameplay loops of Hmm. fights in bars or whatever, I think the temptation is so much to to pad the game with that or to assume that's the part of the game people are going to be most interested in. And Hmm. if you had Tim Schafer... I mean, well, Psychonauts 2 is coming out uh, today, apparently. So uh, we may have a very good example of just what he does with AAA technology and... uh, Well, not AAA, but next-gen game technology. I think AAA. uh, I think AAA. I think it probably does count as AAA now, does it? It's owned by Microsoft, so I suppose so. I think, to my mind, he has made... Now that Psychonauts 2 has come out, he's made three games, I would say, are AAA games. And he's made Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, and now Psychonauts 2. I imagine he'd and say like, something witty if you said that to him about like not getting paid enough. But I, I can't think of anything <laughs> as witty right now. But I think a good example of like where game design has gone is that in this game, you can click on a bunch of things and say, like, punch television that is 20 foot above you. Mm. And the character goes, I can't do that. Whereas now, you just know you couldn't do that. And like the 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 dialogue line of I can't do that just doesn't exist now because yeah. the way that we interact with games is you you are either doing it or you are not doing it. Yeah. Like we don't we don't have to have this. This is sort of this is the disconnect. This is the idea of telling a character, "Hey, uh, can you lick the barman?" And he's going like, "I'm not. I don't want." Like the famous line in this game is, "I'm not putting my mouth on that." I'm not putting my lips um, on that. Yeah, I'm not putting my lips on that. That's it. Um, and that's the thing now is in games now you just don't have the option to ask him to put lips on things because that's just not how people interact in the world. And it's a poorer world for it. It's the best <laughs> game you've ever played. Uh, yeah, um, no, it's it's completely it's a weird thing, isn't it? It's like being in a weird cult loving adventure games because, like you say, like the the time when most people and their mum got into computer games was at a time when well it is polarized, isn't it? Because I suppose that's what the point I'm making in a way, which is the modern day version of Full Throttle would either be almost all fighting with occasional cutscenes mm. or it would be doubling down on it and having even fewer bike action sequences to be even truer to the kind of pure story thing you know it would it would it would could be a visual novel it could just be meeting a series of scuzz balls in you know dirty towns and and dive bars you know and just having the story told that way with way less interaction but i i think well, there, but- for me personally and my kind of taste there is a sweet spot around these adventure games where you have that sort of that that illusion of freedom of being able to go wherever you want, talk to whoever you want in whatever order you want, but at the same time, you know, there, there's quite a linear path through it. You are going to see the end of the story. You are going to find out what happens to this person. You're going to get to the next sequence and have a shock and a twist, and then have to deal with that as a sort of as a character, both in practical puzzle terms and you know emotionally in terms of the storyline. Whenever you next regain control of the character, and I think that 
I, I think I see what you mean entirely. I think that if you gave Tim Schafer the chance at full throttle two now, I well, I'll say this: I think he'd do a flipping brilliant game because he's, he's, as you say, he doesn't <laughs> seem to have let up. And I would be fascinated to see if you took modern technology and the freedom and and responsiveness of modern controls and modern graphics and and put full throttle in that world. I think it would be fascinating to see how that balance is retained. But if there's anyone who could do it, it is amazingly still Tim Schafer. <laughs> Probably still Tim Schafer. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned, um, you said cowboy is a genre for point and click. Mm. And as soon as you said that, I went, that's actually a brilliant fit because despite their reputation, actually most Westerns are talking to people, yep. trying to reason them around. Like actually, it's kind of one of the things that I really love about Red Dead Redemption is that so much of what actually I love about that game is like the pathos of the various stories yeah, yeah, yeah. and like there's shootouts, there's there's horse riding and stuff, but it's a much more it's a much more thoughtful game than I would have thought Rockstar were capable of based off the reputation of Grand Theft Auto. Oh yeah, absolutely. A, a series that is, as far as I'm concerned, like what McDonald's is to Hope Cuisine, Grand Theft Auto <laughs> is to satire. Like it's, it's just it's like it's a just... sledgehammer in the face, isn't it? Like it's, oh yeah, yeah. It, I, I really enjoyed GTA Five, but yeah, I mean, they're doubling down over and over again on, uh, yeah, just on the. They love they love being crass, and they're good yeah. at it. I don't want to begrudge them that. I don't want to say like, and therefore they're less worthy. No, they're really good at crass. It's just I didn't expect them to come out with something as like really nice and beautiful as Red Dead Redemption. But that's what I think Full Throttle would be. Not necessarily all the open worldness of it, but like this idea that you would you would actually get to be in the environment on your motorcycle you would go and talk to people you would solve puzzles you can still have all of that it's just now you actually get to do the thing rather than sort of ask them can you can you kick that no okay can you look at that it's a can thank you so it sounds like what you're saying to me just to sort of round things off here in this discussion is uh, that you absolutely adored the world and all the characters (laughs) and you loved interacting with them and if anything, you'd love to see a new uh, second game in the series uh, designed by Tim Schafer with all the advantages of modern technology, which to me sounds like this was probably the best game you've never played. Well, here's the thing, Tom. I've been saving this to the end because it's absolutely the thing that there's no point having an argument over uh, on the basis that it is completely personal taste. Mm. Um, but I'll rip this Band-Aid off now. Mm. Uh, this game isn't that funny. The plot's not particularly that interesting. And uh, much as the voice cast are doing a wonderful job, the characters are a bit flat. So it's not the best game that I've never played. This is the thing that you have uh, said that I the most disagree with of this entire conversation. <laughs> and I don't have time to unpick why. It's kind of a pointless argument. Basically, the main thing I was going to say is it feels weird to play a bike game whereby the entire plot of it is we need to save this massive corporation. I'm like, is that really? Is that the message that this is about? Really? It's very, you're it's an very, outsider, that's you're also, above the law. That's very 90s, you know, I think as well, because it is the idea of sort of preserving a sort of an honest company that stands for something in the face of a sort of globalized and uh, sort of overly merchandised thing. I mean, I, I tell you, like, you, you kind of have to... I, I did think it was funny going back to it because I'd forgotten all about the sort of Lost Princess storyline and about yeah. the fact that ultimately what you're trying to do is protect the corporate interests of a motorcycle company. But I kind of... I loved it just for moments where, like, a dying man is grasping your lapel and saying, you've got to stop him! He's going to start making minivans! <laughs> and I just think that I, it, it's, it's, it totally sells itself to me. I, I really love the characters. I, the vo- as you say, the voice cast are tremendous. Half the, the supporting cast-, cast of Future Armor are in this game. 
Yeah, uh, Mark Hamill <laughs> plays the villain. Yeah, Mark Hamill. It's it's a very arch villain. It's not he's not a particularly deep character. He's not layered. But he's no, a, he's not a layered. He's character. very fun. He is. Um, he is great fun. I think yeah. I think as well. My problem with the plot is is that it's kind of a game with a central mystery that's revealed relatively quickly, and so the rest of it is just like it's a it's a race against time plot, which contradicts point and click adventure because you can take as much time as you want. <laughs> Yet again, I think we come down to like, can you attune your brain to the point and click storytelling and the yeah, kind of point yeah. and click style of storytelling? Whereas you know, of course. You know, well, I, I don't know. I mean, not that many games have mysteries in them, do they? Like, when you think about it now, like, usually, well, it's, it's, I mean, you take something like Far Cry, it's it's you're aggrieved at somebody and you have to then yeah, find your way across the map and then go get them. But, you know, there are there are games, obviously, and like puzzle games and story-driven, like, narrative games now that, that pull off those kinds of mysteries very, very well. But, yeah, no, but it is, um, yeah, it's, it's for, to my mind, I think it takes those things and explores them really, really well. And I also, yeah, I think the mystery is... It, the ride, you know, the the ride, finding out the, the key mystery you're talking about so early did surprise me how early mm. it is. But my memory of it from playing it the first time around was that that was a big twist. And again, maybe that was because I spent quite a few lazy afternoons <laughs> clicking around screens <laughs> before I found that out. And maybe it didn't seem quite as abrupt an experience as it does now today with the, the high benefit of... Um, uh, well, having to get through these things quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, being able to be able to know how to solve things. But yeah, but yeah, anyway, yeah. it's been a lot of fun having you on. Hey, oh, I tell you what, I tell you what, I do find really funny, Tom. Oh yeah, is I find your podcast really funny. Why don't you tell everybody about that? Oh, well, that's very kind of you, Lewis. Uh, thank you. If you either love or hate the humour and uh, character development of Full Throttle, you might enjoy my one-man sketch and character comedy podcast, Crowley Time which I do at immense uh, personal expense of time and energy uh, <laughs> for relatively little financial reward. Uh, and uh, I'm very, very proud of it. I think it's the thing I've worked the longest and hardest on in my entire life. Uh, and it says a lot wow. about me, I think, that it's a collection, kind of a loose assortment of incredibly puerile uh, characters and comedy scenes. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, my own, it's my own sketch show and I got it the only way I could by making the entire thing myself. Most of the music is me, the editing's all me. All the writing is me. Every character, bar a few little spin-offs, is me. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's a sketch thing, so you can just dip in whenever, wherever you want. Start at the beginning if you want, or listen to the most recent one. It doesn't really matter. And uh, yeah, I, I tried to design it so that you could pretty much jump on wherever you want. So pick the episode title that you like the best. <laughs> and I think it's worth really pointing out to everyone listening as well. Like, So many podcasts are like this one in that they are a chat. <laughs> Yeah. They're just a chat between people about things. What you have made is a legitimate show. Oh, it's the kind you. of thing... Well, no, it's it's something to be really admired because I I previously made a podcast that I would that was like a series of uh, five radio monologue dramas and it was so time-consuming to produce work. it. A lot of work. Particularly compared to something that's just a chat. Yep. Like, when you only have to do any editing if someone says something that's like monstrously offensive and you go, I'm not yeah, putting yeah, that just, in. Just cutting out chuffs and buffs. It's yeah. not. It's anything you know. To to actually to actually sit down. To to the fact is the level of pr production that goes into this show that we're doing right now is I have to play a video game, make notes, and then talk to someone about it. Yep. I know for a fact that writing something takes twice as long as this process. I think twice is a very generous way to put it. Um, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, it, it's 
it's a lot of work, but it is. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's yeah my my natural inclination to make things hard on myself, which might be why I enjoy point and click adventure games so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, well, I'm so pleased you like it, and yeah, I'm glad you've recognised how much work it is. But yeah, no, it's it's a thing. It's it's I think the thing I've loved. You know, I, I've I've written on things. I've I've put plays and things together. I've performed in a comedy group mm. for many years. Like, I think that just making quietly insanely making Crowley time by myself like a mad little tinker is is the happiest I have been I think in in my professional life and and thank god like quite a lot of people have, have heard it and have, have told me how much they like it and it really is it's that thing isn't it where um you know you you give something that is a hundred percent yourself to the world and every time mm. somebody likes it even a bit you go oh thank god you know, because if you, didn't, if you hated it's this, it's not just me. Yeah, it's not. If you hated this, you hate me personally. <laughs> no, it is. It is a fantastic show, oh, thank and you. I, I really, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, please, please go and listen to, to Crowley Time because I promise you, it's uh, many magnitudes um, more elaborate <laughs> many magnitudes than this show, more elaborate and better produced, <laughs> and all of these other things. So I really, really recommend it. And hey. You know, it's made by a guy who really loves the work of Tim Schafer, so we definitely know you've got a good sense of humour. That's right. I'm selling these fine leather jackets. (laughs) Thanks very much for coming on, Tom. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Lewis. Well, that was Tom there with Full Throttle. Sadly, not the best video game I've never played, but a game I'm really glad to have crossed off my list and learned more about. Uh, Tom put up a very passionate and I think full-hearted defence of the game there. Uh, but sadly didn't quite convince me it was the best video game I've never played. Hey, we already mentioned it, but you definitely should go and check out Crowley Time. It's a brilliant, really funny show. Uh, I did listen to the most recent episode uh, that he'd put up with Rufus Hound, uh, in which he investigates the Kratt family line, which is a brilliant, very funny series of sketches all cobbled together with a through-line story, so it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, Just give it a Google, Crowley Time, search for it where you find podcasts. He's got incredible reviews all over iTunes, uh, which clearly shows that he is at the very least very popular with the general public, uh, which I think is inarguable uh, when you listen to what he's done. It's, It's really funny, it's really good. Uh, if you like this show, you can also review it on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's all over Google, Spotify, YouTube. Go find it. Go find this podcast. Go find Tom's podcast. You know, share it about. Have a little chat. You can follow this show on Twitter, at Game Never Played. And, of course, if you haven't heard it already, Any Suggestions Doctor, the improvised Doctor Who parody, a show that I am a part of, is going on tour. It's touring around England. Go to anysuggestionsimprov.co.uk to find out more. Uh, it's a very fun, silly parody of Doctor Who, so if that sounds like your sort of thing, what are you waiting for? This might be your last chance. Probably isn't, actually. We're going to go around again. But it could be. Thanks very much for listening. Stay safe. <laughs>